Hey guys, it's Corey from Lean Green Dad Radio. Thanks so much for listening. If you're listening to this podcast right now, chances are you know someone that's living with autism in their lives. The problem is you might not even know it. Lean Green Dad is proud to work closely with Culture City as one of our two official nonprofit partners. Culture City's mission is to center themselves around awareness and acceptance for those living with autism and also full sensory inclusivity. To learn more about what that means and tons of free resources for you and your family, visit them online at culturecity.org. That's culture with a K, city.org. This episode of Lean Green Dad is also brought to you by Clean Machine, providing the best line of clean, vegan sports nutrition supplements on the planet. Now, right now, folks, July 1st through the 31st of 2017, in celebration of their four-year anniversary, there is a huge BOGO sale going on. So visit them online, cleanmachineonline.com, and use the code LEANGREENBOGO. Four for their four-year anniversary, Lean Green BOGO 4 for a buy one, get one free on any of their supplements, not including apparel, and it's only valid for shipping in the U.S. But go again, cleanmachineonline.com, and then use the code LEANGREENBOGO4. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Lean Green Dad Radio. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Lean Green Dad Radio. From sunny Orlando, Florida, this is Lean Green Dad Radio, the podcast that provides fuel for families. And now, here's your host, Corey Warren. Hey guys, what's going on? And welcome to Lean Green Dad Radio. We are proud to be brought to you by the Parents on Demand Network, which is an app with a ton of great parental podcasts. So make sure that you go check them out over at parentsondemand.com. But what's up? My name's Corey, and if it's your first time hearing us, then you are tuning in and spending time with me to listen to wonderful folks share their opinions about healthy living, parenting, and also staying as fit and healthy as possible. And for that, I cannot thank you enough. So thank you for spending time with me. We have a great guest today. I'm going to tell you about him in just a little bit, but first I want to say hello. I am a husband, I'm a father of three kids, and a plant-based athlete. Each week I get to talk to some of the most inspiring folks that I can find to help me stay motivated, stay fit, and really just eat healthy and get the most out of life as a busy parent. For me, finding time to work out and make healthy quick meals for me and my family, all while trying to spend quality time together, can be really difficult when we overschedule ourselves. So my hope is that by me getting a chance to talk to some of these folks that you walk away with some quick tips or inspiration that you can use in your life to help keep you and your family going strong. All right, let's talk about today's guest. Today's guest is Dr. Robert Melillo. And uh, what we're going to be talking about is very near and dear to my heart. So I might not talk about it a ton, but my son Raj is an ODD child. Now, uh, I'm not one to give labels, but ODD stands for Opposition Defiance Disorder. And although there's no official diagnosis at this point, I can tell you that from the three different books that I've read that he meets the criteria for all of them. Now, some folks might call this type of child a spirited child or a boy just being a boy, but for us, it's a daily challenge, and it's one that we really need to pay attention to to help set our son up for success. 
So I came across today's guest, Dr. Melillo, after seeing uh, that we had the same literary agent, believe it or not. Uh, of course, I'm still working on my book, which is you know going to be out in 18 months or so, but he is a multiple... Uh, multiple published author. He's he's got several books out there, which we will talk about soon. Um, and you know, when I found his books, I, I found out that we have a lot of similar ideals. Now, just to give you a, a bit of background on Dr. Malillo, he is one of the most respected specialists in childhood neurological disorders in America, and he's been helping children with learning disabilities for over 20 years. He's the founder of Brain Balance, which is a uh, you know a brick and mortar building that has tons of locations across the country. It's a program that's helped thousands of families uh, across the U.S. take a drug-free whole child approach to serve a wide range of conditions, including learning disabilities, processing disorders, and ADHD. He is the author of several books, as we mentioned, and uh, just a well-around, well, all-around guy. And uh, now there's something for everyone in this podcast, guys. So if you have kids, or you work with kids, or you even know someone who has kids, there's something that you can take away from this conversation. So let's get into it without any further ado. It is my conversation with Dr. Robert Melillo from Brain Balance Centers. All right. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Lean Green Dad Radio. As you heard, we have a wonderful guest today. Uh, you know, guys, every now and then we talk about uh, our, our nonprofit supporter and uh, our partner, Culture City, and how they work with autism awareness and acceptance. But, you know, very few times have we been able to have a professional that really understands both the balance of the brain and nutrition. Well, today we have the founder of the Brain Balance Achievement Centers. He's also the author of multiple books, including the Disconnected Kids Nutrition Plan that I am most interested in. Please welcome to the show, Dr. Robert Melillo. Thanks for coming on, doctor. Oh, thank you for having me. I'm very excited to be here. Absolutely. We have a lot of uh, mutual friends up there in New York, and um, I'm really glad that you had the time with your busy schedule to jump on for a few minutes. So thank you so much. Great. I can't wait to read your book when it's uh, out there. Oh, thank you. We've got a little bit of time. It's going to, you know, it's a, it's a long process, as you know, but uh, we're very excited about it. We're going to go the digital route first, I think, do a digital ebook and then kind of uh, work to the paper version and, and have it be much more comprehensive, but thank you for that. All right, um, I want to talk about this Disconnected Kids nutrition plan and, and really get into it, but before I do, I, I want to hear from you. You know, I, I in doing my research and understanding what you do, you, you started this by going around and saying, okay, what is ADHD? What is a neurological disorder? What does that mean? So from your perspective, can you start there and just kind of talk about what what does it mean when we say a child has a developmental disorder or a neurological disorder? Yeah, you know, I think that that's the most important place to start. It was the place that started with me. You know, my background is neurology and rehabilitation. And um, as a clinician, I knew a lot, at the t uh, you know, at the time um, when someone came up and said that my son might have some sort of developmental issues. Um, and for me, the first question, well, what is ADHD in the brain? You know, just point to me where the problem is, you know, so I can try to fix it. You know, as a dad, I would just, we want to fix everything, right? And uh, so 
Um, what I found then, and what I still find now, if I do, whenever I do a lecture, and I, I lecture usually to either professionals or parents, or um, probably two, three times a week at least. I'm leaving tonight to go to Rome. Uh, just got back from LA. And the first question I ask any audience is, you know, who can tell me what is happening in the brain of a child with any of these issues? And I asked them, you know, just raise your hand if you could give me a good scientific explanation. And uh, almost every single time, nobody raises their hand. And then I say, who couldn't tell me that? And they all raise their hand. And this is in groups of MDs, DCs, PhDs, DOs, PTs, OTs. And to me, you know, um, there's a lot of statements you can't make if you don't know what the actual problem is, right? You can't say that this is something that has to be a lifelong problem or something that isn't correctable or, you know, you can't say that if you don't know what the problem is. You can't say what may be causing it. You can't say if it's preventable. You can't say if it's reversible. Um, you know, you, you can't really say a lot of things uh, if you don't know what the problem is. And so with me, that's where it all started. So the quick answer is that you know, during my research and even up till now, which we're really doing a lot of cutting edge research, I, I head up a research lab here and in a few places like Israel and Cuba. And it, what's known is the problem is in what we call functional connectivity. That's where all the research goes, meaning that there isn't a problem with any lesion or injury or any one area of the brain that isn't working in any of these disorders or issues, I don't even like to look at them as disorders, I call them really just learning challenges. Um, and the problem is really communication between areas of the brain. And there's nothing wrong with the gray matter or the white matter per se, other than some unusual growth patterns where we see that certain areas look somewhat immature. There was just a study that came out over the last couple of days saying that you know, they identified five areas in people with ADHD that are smaller or immature or less developed. And, you know, that's really been my contention for a long time, that these are developmental issues and they're imbalances in developmental trajectory, which means that some areas of the brain, typically on one side, typically on the left hemisphere, are more advanced. Um, typically, these kids come from parents that are very left brain dominant. They're very bright extremely intellectual. We know if you go to areas of the world <clears throat> where you have clusters of people with, um, you know, in the high tech world, like Silicon Valley, one in 10 kids have autism or, or Asperger's. Um, and there's other places in the world like that. So they have very strong networks and overconnected and overdeveloped networks, typically on the left side of the brain, whereas they have underdeveloped networks typically in the right side of the brain, and that's really where most of their issues lie. And, and the two hemispheres can't really integrate and share information as the child is developing, and, and this, will last, this will last their lifetime unless, they, unless something is done about that. So that's primarily the quick answer. And it's a great answer, and um, wow, uh, I'm just, I don't even know where to start. I do know where to start because I have it written down, but I, you know, um, Let's talk about the connection between food and the brain. But before we kind of dive into that, there's multiple different factors. You know, I always describe the way that we take care of ourselves as, you know, and I, I'm looking to you to tell me if this is correct or not, but our, our body is predisposed to certain different things. We have these little embers within our DNA code that uh, the way we live our lives will determine whether those embers spark into fires or not. 
And then, you know, once we have a fire, it's a little bit more difficult to put that fire out. So my whole philosophy is that if we can keep these embers at bay through the food that we eat and also multiple different other factors, we can do our absolute best and give our body the best chance at keeping those embers just embers or even maybe put, putting some of those embers out. But there's a lot of different factors that go into play here. It's not just the food. It's not just the environment. It's not, uh, you know, just exercise. And I think that was one of the things that I really liked on your take on what's going on with these uh, learning challenges, as you called them. Am I right? Yes, absolutely. You know, what you've described is epigenetics, which, you know, we know is that, that most of these issues are not genetic mutations, which is what people used to believe in the past, that there was something wrong, the DNA was broken or not there or deleted in some way. Um, and for the most part, you know, in the majority of people, especially, you know, in autism, you know, it's a little tricky because you have two different subsets. You have what's called syndromic and then you have what's called non-syndromic, which means that, you know, about 10%, 15% of people that are labeled with autism actually do have a true genetic syndrome like tuberous sclerosis or Landau-Kleffner or you know, Fragile X or Down syndrome. Um, but 85 to 90% don't and don't have any mutation. It's rather what we call an epimutation, which is, you know, those parts of the DNA are either turned off or turned on improperly, as you kind of alluded to. And food can play a major, major role in that, of course. But as you said, you know, um, there's a lot of factors that come into play because uh, it's not just food, but any environmental chemical or factors or, or more commonly our, the own, our own chemicals, our own inflammatory chemicals in our body or cytokines or other immune issues and immune factors can obviously alter gene expression. But what can affect that is what people don't really look at is that the brain regulates all this. Um, you know, traditional... Uh, medicine, many people, I, you know, I have many medical doctors that are good friends of mine and that take my courses and um, they're really kind of taught that the immune system and the endocrine system and the digestive system kind of operate on their own, you know, that they just go out there and they're these kind of independent systems that may dysfunction or may not. Um, but that's not true. They all really fall under control of the brain. And when the br brain is dysfunctional, all of those systems can become dysfunctional. So, you know, you can be eating all the right food, but if your digestive system isn't producing hydrochloric acid to the right degree, or you're not producing the right level of digestive enzyme, you can't break down proteins, uh, you can't absorb nutrients. If you have reduced blood flow to your gut, um, you, you know, you're not going to absorb as many vitamins or minerals or amino acids as you should. Um, and if your brain isn't working properly, it can create an imbalance in your immune system. So your immune system can overreact and you can develop food sensitivities to gluten and to dairy when, you know, you really shouldn't. There's nothing, there's no reason why you should develop those sensitivities. So the brain plays a major, major role. And that's why, you know, you can modify diet and you can give someone supplements. But if you're not looking at the whole picture, 
then the child may not be absorbing any of the vitamins you're giving them or, you know, they, they're going to develop new food sensitivities and, you know, things like that. So it is multifactorial, but the brain plays a major role. And I think that's the thing I bring into this is the understanding of that. So where do you start, though? I mean, your, your child is diagnosed with uh, one of these multitudes of learning challenges. And, and where do you start? Um, yeah. Is it just the diet? Do you immediately start pumping them full of vitamins? How do you find out if the body's even getting enough hydrochloric acid like you were talking about, you know? Right, right. Yeah, you know, for me, it starts with movement. Um, so for me, there's a, you know, very strong correlation between uh, body movement and and brain development. I mean, this is my first book called Neurobehavioral Disorders um, of Childhood from an Evolutionary Perspective really asked the question as to, you know, why do we have brains? Where do brains come from to begin with? And the answer is that the first living thing that had a brain was the first animal that really moved under its own power. Um, that if we don't move, we don't need a brain. But when you move, if you're going to move in a purposeful way, you need a brain. So what we know is that in in infants, um, what initiates their brain development is when they move and they start to move and they start to interact and engage their senses. But of course, you know the cool thing that's interesting is that the area of our brain that regulates initially our digestion, our heart rate, our breathing, um, also regulates our initial movement in our brainstem we're born with these reflexes that not only help regulate our body but also help regulate early movements like rooting and sucking reflexes so a baby can latch on um, grasping reflexes or what we call startle responses or symmetric and asymmetric neck movements where a baby turns their head and their arms and legs automatically move like a puppet this is you know, we're, until we actually have a brain to control our movement and to stimulate our brain, we're born with these movements. So we also know that um, our facial muscle tone, um, being able to look at that, that is regulated by an area of our brain called our vagal centers or the vagus nerve. And, and um, so what you see is in, in many small babies, they have problems with their movement. They, have, they miss developmental milestones. They don't crawl on time. They don't move. Those are critical, critical things. And most people are told that those things don't matter, but they matter a lot. And even if the baby is a month behind in certain things, it, it ends up, studies have shown that if you follow that individual out to adulthood, it makes a big difference in their executive function and cognitive development. So I think, you know, motor activity for me and movement is important, but if we know that there's a problem, then we know that also their digestive system isn't going to be working properly, and, and that's going to be an issue. So, you know, maybe looking at how we're feeding them and what foods we're giving them, and are there foods that are a little bit more allergenic, and are they absorbing everything? So, you know, I, I think it starts with understanding that and, and picking up on warning signs early on. And let's let's go ahead and transition into food there because you hear so many marketing buzzwords out there. There's organic and conventional and GMO and processed. It's like, you know, it's so much information that we don't know what's right and what's wrong. Um, yeah. So gluten-free even, all of these different marketing things that they, they throw other ingredients in there that are worse for you than if it was just a, a bit of gluten there in the first place. So how... How do we shop for these neurological disorders 
Is everybody the same? Is there one thing that we can kind of keep an eye out on and go, okay, we know for sure that these things incorporated into a diet of a child with autism are going to be a negative effect? Or is it more on a case-by-case basis? I think it's, you know, when we talk about things like um, organic, I think obviously in an ideal world, all of us would only eat organic. Um, The more you go out there and really look at what the food industry industry does and what they consider as normal standard to things like dairy and and uh, and again when you start looking at things like GMO, just what what's happened with wheat, um, you know we don't know what we're dealing with. We don't know um, what what effect that's going to have on humans. So I think organic is kind of a general rule that that everybody should be an organic, but certainly, uh, you know, young babies. Uh, who are more sensitive and whose detoxification and immune system really isn't fully developed in an ideal world until the, you know, really the first year, the end of the first year. So I think that, you know, that that's the case. I think we're learning a lot about things like, you know, there's new research saying that um, we should maybe feed babies foods like peanuts or other foods that they become highly allergic to um, earlier. Um, so that they get exposure earlier and that, that part of the problem may be, you know, by delaying those, you, you may make them, you know, more allergenic later on down the road. Um, but, you know, I think that as far as, um, you know, looking at something like gluten and, you know, I don't know, I'm sure you probably know that, but most people don't realize that the whole gluten thing, which is very popular now, really started in the autism community. Um, I remember 15, 20 years ago when, we were talking about it. People thought we were crazy, and uh, and it was really unless you had celiac disease, it was almost impossible to find anything that was gluten free. Um, now you see it everywhere. Obviously, it's very popular, but that started in the autism community. But gluten, in and of itself, is not really a problem. Casein, in and of itself, with from dairy, is not a problem. It's really the way that you know these. Children have problems with the way that they're either not digesting it or they're having some sort of immune reaction to it. Um, So, you know, I think that um, modern wheat is problematic in that, you know, what it does to the glycemic index. Um, You know, if you I'm sure you're familiar with the book Wheat Belly. He does a good job describing about glycemic index and things like that. Mm Um, but you know, and then there are certain things, obviously, like staking, staying away from plastics and plastic bottles, and there's a lot of toxins in in the foods that we eat, and trying to stay away from that. But I think that for the most part, if the brain is working properly, if the gut is working properly, and the immune system is is working at the level it should, then you know most foods are going to be okay. Um, and, you know, that people are not going to develop these immune reactions to food, which is really what we're looking at. It's really what we call a chemical immune intolerance. It's not so much that uh, chemicals in the environment are building up and are toxic in our body. That's part of it. But it's more that our immune system dysfunctions and we develop antibodies against foods or against chemicals or against pesticides. And that what you know, that produces a, a, a big problem. Well, talking about the glycemic index and uh, spikes in blood sugar and stuff like that, how do you feel about sugar, white refined sugar in the diet? Well, you know, I, I think obviously limiting it is is important. I think that um, you know if we can if we can eliminate or if we can reduce 
sugar, you know, or reduce it significantly, I think that's great. I'm not obsessive with, you know, it has to be completely eliminated. I mean, if it's natural sugar, um, you know, I think there's a certain level of natural, you know, if it's not refined, um, and if we have more raw sugar, I think that's, that's better and uh, limiting amounts of it is okay. Um, I'd rather see that than some of the than some of the chemical alternatives that people like NutraSweet, we know that, you know, that can really have issues, really create issues in the brain because, um, you know, that can affect what we call glutamate, which is the main excitatory neurotransmitter in the brain and can cause what we call excitotoxicity of the brain, uh, which we believe is at the root of many issues, including things like Alzheimer's and, and dementia right now. So, you know, I, I think that um, having some sugar is okay, but I think that obviously, I think, you know, many kids right now, we have things like sugary drinks, um, you know, and the obesity level in kids is just, you know, really, really concerning at this point. But that's also a, a, in large part because kids are not moving anywhere near the level that they used to move. Uh, two decades ago and before. So it's a combination of those things. But, um, you know, I'm not obsessive about sugar, but absolutely we need to be able to look at it and eliminate, especially refined white sugar. Now, do do kids that are consuming sugar, are they more hyperactive? Like, what is the relationship between sugar and the brain? Does it really make the kid go crazy um are are teachers doing themselves a disservice by serving candy for rewards in schools um sugar in and of itself doesn't make the brain go crazy but what happens is that it's the way we metabolize sugar um and what's happening again is it has a lot to do with the way the brain is regulating the digestive system and the way it's regulating our autonomic system what happens is that and our research has actually shown this in, in autism and in kids with ADHD, is that you know the autonomic system is two parts. There's the parasympathetic and what we call the sympathetic. Sympathetic is the fight or flight system. Um, our fight or flight system, is, we're born with that uh, in high gear. And, our, and, and so this is the adrenaline system, the system that um, will you know make our heart rate really fast or make our breathing really shallow and that also reduces our digestive function because what the fight or flight system does is it basically takes all our blood or takes most of our blood from our gut and from our in our organs and and pushes it out to our muscles and up to our brain so we can run or fight away fight out out of something in a short for a short time um, what it also does is it causes a flush of of, of uh, adrenaline or cortisol that causes sugar to rush into our bloodstream so we have more energy to fight or run away. Hmm. The problem is is that kids that have developmental issues, it takes about you know a year for our parasympathetic system to fully develop and cause our heart rate to drop. And this also regulates our digestive function and the blood flow to our digestive function and our ability to secrete hydrochloric acid and digestive enzymes. And it also helps to regulate our blood sugar and our imbalance of our blood sugar. So these kids have that system on high alert. And whether you have a delay on the right side or the left side of the brain, 
um, everything is higher. And you can see it. Their heart rate is higher than it should be for typical kids their age. Um, and their digestive system doesn't work. And so their ability to metabolize sugar is a problem. And so this is where a lot of that problem comes from. And this is associated with immaturity um, and hyperactivity and impulsivity um, because their brain is immature as a whole. So what we see is that when they eat, you know, if they can't metabolize sugar, one of two things can happen to any of us. One is, is that we could have a burst of energy uh, because we have, you know, all this sugar in our bloodstream, but we have to be able to get that sugar into our cells. And if we don't have insulin or if we don't have what we call insulin, if we have insulin resistance where our, our cells aren't really uh, responding to the insulin, we can't get the sugar into the cells anyway. Um, and what may happen is then that will convert to triglycerides and that makes us feel tired. So anybody that eats a meal and immediately afterwards they feel like they need to take a nap, they have a problem with the way they're metabolizing sugar and with potentially insulin resistance. So a lot of this is regulated by the brain and that may be part of the problem. So it's not sugar in and of itself. To me, if the child is becoming hyperactive or unusually sleepy after they eat a meal, that tells me that their brain and their cortisol and their their fight-or-flight system is still very high and their digestive system isn't going to be working properly. Absolutely incredible. I have never thought of the brain connection to sugar as opposed to, hey, you're putting this in your body and your bloodstream and everything else. It just has an effect on it that way. So that is absolutely fascinating. Um, Talk to me about uh, brain balance real quick before we let you go and let us know about all of these wonderful centers across the country that you have and... uh, how people can learn more information. Yeah, well, you know, the idea when I started this was um, I saw that we were facing an epidemic. This was the early 90s. And and so my idea was to come up with a program that not only could help um, many, many children, but that anybody could really supervise or do. Um, So more from an education perspective and um, so that was my goal to be able to, you know, have a big impact on many, many people and many kids around the country. So the idea was once we understood what the problem was, I, I spent years developing a plan on how to identify, you know, the, the nature of the imbalance in each kid and then develop a, a program that could affect them using physical exercises, motor activity, sensory stimulation, sensory processing activities, um, behavioral interventions, cognitive and academic type of, of interventions, as well as diet and nutrition and behavioral modification. So we developed a program uh, like that called the brain, called the Brain Balance Program, and then the vehicle, uh, one of the vehicles, is our centers. So we have over a hundred centers open now. We have 140 actually in total. Um, will affect almost 10,000 kids. We'll work with about 10,000 families this year just in the United States alone. And uh, and we're growing. We'll probably add another 40 or 50 at least every year. And then eventually we'll be going worldwide with them. And, uh, you know, what we're finding is that our results are really quite astounding. Um, we get unbelievable results. And, and our goal is not just to be a Band-Aid. Our goal is to identify what the issue is and to, and to fix it most of the time. 
uh, or to be able to get them, you know, have each kid reach their potential of where they're supposed to be. And most of these kids are really gifted kids. They're usually, you know, that's why you have this unevenness of skills that really stands out, meaning that most of these kids really are exceptionally bright in certain areas, but they struggle in other areas. Um, and so the idea is to, you know, get those children to be who they were destined to be and go out there and really be, uh, you know, these wonderful, productive, bright people. And that's what we're doing. Oh, unbelievable. Over 75 centers across the country, over 25 years in practice. Dr. Robert Melillo, thank you so much for coming on the show, talking to us. Of course, we will be sure to link everything in the show notes. You can follow him on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and Pinterest. And um, yeah, we'll, we'll send him to the website as well. Uh, it's drrobertmelillo.com. Is that right, doctor? That's my website, right? But then there's also brainbalancecenters.com if they want to go directly to Brain Balance. Um, my website is drrobertmelillo.com. Great. We'll make sure to put all that in the show notes. And thank you again so much for your time. Okay. Thank you. Hey, guys. What's up? Corey back in the studio. Thank you so much for making it through another episode of Lean Green Dad Radio. But hey, don't let your experience end here. Visit us online at leangreendad.com. We've even got a three-part free video series where I take you through the grocery store, show you some of the healthiest brands that I buy from my family. Uh, and uh, that's free. It's on our homepage. You can uh, just visit leangreendad.com. Scroll down. You'll see it right there. Also, make sure you follow us on Facebook, Pinterest, Twitter, Instagram. We've even got a YouTube channel. And uh, we'd love for you to come and join the conversation with us. Until next time, my friends, this is Corey from Lean Green Dad saying keep going that extra mile for your family. See you next week.